is Angela Cox and I am the Mindset Mentor and this is the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. Now my aim is to discover and share the secrets of success. You'll hear engaging and uplifting interviews with business leaders at the top of their game, all primed to deliver bucketfuls of value and inspiration. We'll bring practical tips success strategies and golden nuggets of motivation to help you unleash your absolute potential. Now please do like, share and leave a review if you love this podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thanks for listening and let's jump in now and meet this week's fabulous guest. Hello and welcome along to the podcast. It's Angela Cox, your host, and it's International Women's Day today. So I thought it would be the right thing to do to bring on a woman who, in my view, is an absolute badass. And I've been building a relationship with Claire Clough, who is the UK MD for Pret-a-Manger, for about six months now and I just think she is brilliant at what she does and a brilliant human being. So I want to just say a quick hello first of all. Claire, welcome along to the podcast. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute joy because you and I have been getting to know each other and it's brilliant first of all that you've come on today because I know that you only moved house about 10 days ago. So you're still in the process of unpacking boxes. How did all of that go in a pandemic? Um, I think actually the pandemic proved to be useful because you actually are trapped in your house. So you can do nothing but unpack. So I'm going to say the lack of sort of ability to go out and do more fun things means that I've been a more efficient house mover. So actually, (laughs) actually, maybe the pandemic works in my favour. I love that. You can't escape the boxes that are shouting at you saying empty me. So it makes you do it. I like that a lot. And I've got so many questions for you today, particularly around your journey as a leader and also, I guess, some of the challenges that you faced as UKMD of Pret. I can imagine during the pandemic, you know, the kind of pivoting, if we're going to use that word, and the transformations must have been happening every week. So it'd be good to kind of understand a little bit more about that, but also about you as a human and just how fabulous you are. So I thought we'd start there and talk about some of the things that you're most proud of. So I'm going to ask you to share three. And I know this is the thing that most people find difficult because we don't necessarily like to shake our own pom-poms. But if you were really thinking about the things that you're super proud of, what would be the first one? So I love that concept of of shaking your own pom-poms. I think more of us should do that more often. So despite sort of you know, the challenge of, gosh, what, what would those moments been? It's been really lovely to have a think about them. So the first one, I think for me, is around going to university. Now, it's weird because you might expect me to say graduating from university, but actually the, the sort of more proud, exciting moment for me was, was when I started my course, because it was the first time in my life where I think I'd been really clear on, on what I wanted and, and the path I was going to follow. and. I went to Reading University and I did a course in 
through technology. And back in 1998, it was that long ago, food technology wasn't a particularly well-known subject. And, and the school that I was at at the time, there wasn't you know, a big sort of incentive to, yes, go off and study food technology. It was a much more sort of normal choice to choose something like uh, you know, medicine or maths or, or whatever that the, the right topic would have but I just felt really passionately that I, that I had a sort of clarity of, of what I wanted my sort of future career to be in. And I needed it to be something that combined sort of my love of, of creativity and creative thinking with my love of food. <laughs> so I, I sort of had talked to, to people in, in sort of jobs that I thought would be interesting and, and found this route in. And I'd met a really inspiring lady who'd done that course at the same university sort of three or four years ahead of me. And I thought the job that she did was sounded fantastically interesting. So that was the path that I went down. And whilst I had, having stated this preference, I had good support from, from the school and, and at home. There was just a moment for me on kind of day one of enrolling of really feeling like I was on the journey I wanted to be in. And, and I think that was just, that was a sort of super, super proud moment because it's the first time you leave. You know, for me, it was the first time I'd left living at home. It was such a big milestone moment, but it was it was also really on my terms and that just felt really good. So that's sort of the first one that, that springs to mind. And you can see that in your body language when you talk about it. You can see the pride and that kind of strength in your backbone in terms of making that decision. I'm interested to know where the inspiration came from. So you mentioned two things there. You mentioned this, this love of creativity and then this love of food, which at sort of 17, 18, when you're making those decisions, where were the influences coming from for those things? Yeah, so I think I've always been, I've been more of a doer than a thinker, I would, I would say. That's my, my preference. And, and that showed up when I was younger in, I would more often be in the kitchen with, with my grandmother or my mother doing a bit of, of cooking or baking than I would be, you know, playing logic puzzles or, or doing jigsaws. So I was always much more of a kind of creator. And I think I also knew that for me, there's a sort of equation of effort and reward that was quite clear. And, and this, this view of, well, if I'm going to be, you know, in the working world, then I want to sort of feel that at the end of my working day, there's something that I can see. I need something a bit tangible that's perhaps a little bit more than just paperwork. And so that's really where that, that inspiration came when I started to think, well, how am I going to, how am I going to bring those things that put a smile on my face in how I spend my spare time, but also start to build this sense of what satisfaction would look like for me in a, in a sort of working world. So that was sort of the, the inspiration. And then I was lucky enough to do some work experience with Marks and Spencers just, you know, in my sort of two weeks from school. And I discovered that there were these roles within their food division that sort of started to combine these things where you where you're actually the reward you got was to see a product that you'd been involved in you know bringing to the customer on a shelf which was hugely tangible but also had that kind of you know foodie nature and and you could really sort of you know cooking on a big scale you know no more baking in the kitchen but really starting to think about what what bringing products to customers like so i i think i was just really lucky at that time to sort of start meeting some people in in jobs that i didn't know existed that that sort of sparked my interest it's that kind of synchronicity, isn't it? But it's really interesting, based on the fact that we're on International Women's Day, that you use that term lucky, because that's a term that many of us as women use to describe where we are and how we've got there, as opposed to that kind of owning it and, and I've made it happen that we might see our male counterparts do. So this idea that, you know, you've got there through luck 
some of that is because you've got a hugely strategic mind as well. And, you know, you're able to join the dots and see how you can bring things together in a way that's going to be right for you and then indeed for the customer as well. So we'll just give you that kind of shake your pom-poms moment on top. And then in terms of the second one, what would the second one be? So the second one would actually be when I was appointed UKMD, which is coming up for a year and a half ago. So that for me is an amazing sort of achievement. And I would have, if we hadn't have just had the this couple of minutes that we've had, probably said I was lucky. <laughs> but actually, I wasn't. I really wasn't. I'd worked extremely hard. So uh, I'm going to own that one. So I think, you know, I joined Pret just over 10 years ago. I joined in sort of product roles, you know, in that in that traditional space that I've been in all my career. Enjoyed it, you know, fantastic eight years in sort of product and commercial roles. Became a member of the leadership team. That started exposing me to to much more kind of wider business knowledge, really starting to understand the business. And then an opportunity came up when we had a bit of a restructure. We had a a new CEO and that led to some internal promotions. And I felt at that time that I was really ready for for the next step. So I wasn't lucky. I I put myself, you know, forward into, you know, for consideration for the role. And I was just totally delighted to get the support of Pano, our current CEO, and Clive, our previous CEO to take on that, that challenge and opportunity and, and step into the UKMD role and to, and to lead the UK business within Pret, which is the largest of our markets, is an absolute privilege. For me, it was also hugely significant because I was really the first person who hadn't come from a pure operations background that had held that role previously. So I felt really proud when people sort of talked to me about, well, you've broken a bit of new ground here as well. And even, you know, on, on International Women's Day, you know, it was great to put sort of a, a woman into into that leader position. And at the time, it meant that we had three out of the four of our managing directors for Pret uh, as females, which oh, again, wow. you know, is, was fantastic. And I think we've always been very, very lucky in, in Pret with sort of diversity and, and equality and gender equality. But, you know, again, a real statement to say, you know, we've got some really strong female leaders in this business and and, and all leading significant markets. And it's interesting hearing you talk about the fact that what's gone before has always been people who have an ops background going into those roles, which kind of feels like the natural progression. What are some of the challenges that you face when you come from the product background, which is quite specialist, I I suppose, and then suddenly you find yourself in that realm of people leader as well as business leader? So for me, the most important thing was to just get close to the people in our shops as much as I possibly could. That was probably the biggest gap, I guess, when I moved into the role, because through my role on on the sort of leadership team, I'd learned a lot about the the business broadly, and I understood some of those things. What I knew less of was real life in shops. And I I recognised the fact that I wasn't going to be able to go back and, you know, become a general manager for a year and graduate to be an ops manager. That that wasn't what I was going to do. But what I did do is I reached out to different people in different departments and asked them to give me a pretty full-on induction, which effectively gave them permission to treat me as a, a new joiner and to take me through all of the pathways that we have. So we have lots of pathways that sort of are your journey through the different levels in shops to take me through those pathways and, and to allow me to ask as many basic questions as, as I needed to. And then I also made a commitment that I would get out to every shop in the UK within the first year in role, which I almost did before COVID hit, but didn't quite get to. 
which gave me an opportunity to meet all of the managers, spend time with the ops managers and, and start getting some of those rich conversations going. So, so that was really fantastic. And then the sort of legacy bit that I took forward from that was the training program that had been created for me. We condensed into a one-day program that we then delivered for everyone in the UK office-based team that were either at my direct report or the next level down into this one-day program that we called a kind of shops immersion program. And that was a huge, when we delivered that day, and that again was was just before COVID, probably about February last year, the feedback was phenomenal. People were coming forward and saying, gosh, I wish we'd had this when we joined and really mm-hmm. trying to build that connection between the office business and the shops business. And I think, you know, the benefit was that I'd seen that gap because I'd experienced it myself. I realized, you know, really quickly what I didn't know because of having not come from that world. And I realized that for the majority of people working in our sports centers, they were more like me than they were than the sort of smaller group of people who've come up from from shops into the office. So that ran then. We ran a version of it online this year for the sort of people who joined since that program. And I think it's, well, I'm hopeful now that it will be a part of our kind of ongoing training program. So that felt like a great legacy. It's hugely powerful that because it's almost like eroding the them and us situation that you get when you have central functions or shared services in the centre and then kind of the operation out on the ground. And there's always a disconnect between those. So you're you're kind of bringing that together, but you're also demonstrating that back to the floor, leading through the eyes of the people who serve the customers to really get the feedback as what needs to change. And I know we were chatting a few weeks ago and you were talking about kind of bringing authenticity into those conversations and making them human and just sort of what that, brings as well in terms of a flavor so can we just touch on that a little bit more yeah definitely and I think for me authenticity has always been so important to me and, and and that was a lot why before I go on to talking about the shops just talking about creating that training program was I wanted to create an environment for everyone in in prep to authentically being able to ask for help on stuff that they didn't know to know that it was possible to grow your career both on the basis of what you'd achieved to date, so how much you'd approved yourself to get that progression, but also what you still needed to learn and to be able to do that in a really, I guess, authentically vulnerable way. But I think going into to shops, that bridging of that gap of, you know, we just simply can't know exactly what life is like for, for our team members in, in shops, especially in the past year where things have been so challenging for them. And so the only way to, to really learn is, is to listen. And I think, you know, you need to create an environment of people being comfortable to open up and tell you exactly what it is that, that, that they're feeling. Because what I don't want to do when I go out into shops is hear this kind of version of what people think I want to hear. The and, royal and visit. Can, and you can get that a bit. But once you put in the sort of personal contact or, or detail or, or personal vulnerability or whatever it is, you get a different conversation. And that's where you really start to learn. And that's where you really get your takeaways. So I've always worked quite hard to to make sure that people have met me rather than met the MD. And hopefully that means that we get that sort of higher quality conversation. Oh, and it just makes me so excited when you talk in this way, because the thing about it is you hear this in businesses all the time, this, you know, connecting with people, leading with empathy, leading through coaching. And it's always a kind of a on the to do list or a tick box exercise, but you actually do it. You actually make this stuff real and you are able to go and share your vulnerability without feeling like that discredits your position. And then you invite that back 
And it's such a rare trait that you have. And, and what's beautiful is I don't even think you realize it half of the time, which makes it even more authentic. So I know that that for you is going to create even more waves over the next 12, 18 months and, and really kind of put you in the front, I suppose, in terms of your leadership style coupled with that strategic mind. It's just brilliant. So what would the third one be then? So I think the third one really is kind of a now, a right now moment. So I couldn't I couldn't sit here as as the MD of a sort of big big London based hospitality business and and not feel proud to have come through what has been an enormously challenging year. So to sort of take take you back to February last year just quickly, we had our annual quarter brief, which is where you sort of share with the business with all the shop managers at a big conference the plans for the year ahead, and that was on February the seventh, twenty twenty. And I themed the day Go Go 2020. So it was sort of, you know, <laughs> off we go. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Isn't and it just? I was just over six months into role. My team around me were, were really starting to form. And I thought we'd built a fantastic set of plans for 2020. And we presented them all to the managers. Great day. Lots of fantastic feedback. And four weeks later, we were shut. So that wasn't exactly the Go Go 2020 that we, we'd hoped for. So it was there was a tough moment then because you sort of have to go, okay, well this isn't this isn't where I wanted this energy to take me. We've now got to kind of rebase and 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 start again. But but I think, you know, I feel now that we've got to a point where I I don't I don't say go go 2021. It's maybe a little bit premature for that. But I think that we're now in a position where we are genuinely coming back stronger from where we are. We've managed to look after as many of our people as we possibly could during that period. I think we've managed to keep really strong communication across the teams, you know, and, and all the things that we've needed to help each other keep going through what's been a you know incredibly challenging period, in and out of openings and closings, and 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 really sitting here, you know, now looking as we are for the UK at, at a bit of a roadmap of, of of how things will change over the coming months. I think, you know, I feel enormously proud that we've sort of got here and we're, and we're in a good position to go again. So I, I guess that fills me with enormous pride. I meet with my team. I see, you know, the energy in, in, in their body language and, and faces. And, and the more and more I'm out in shops as they start to reopen, the more sort of energy I see throw, flowing through the business. And, you know, that feels hugely rewarding. It makes the challenges of, of the last year, you know, a little, a little less, uh, a little less disheartening than they were. But at points like, you know, it's it's never the thing that you want to do to write an email to the shops saying that we're we're shutting the business. Oh and, God! Yeah. You know, how how far we've come. And in that time, all of the changes that you've had to adapt to, the leadership that you would have had to kind of take on board to to take people on that journey. How have you kept your energy? up to be able to deal with that because it's I mean it is resilience isn't it personified how have you done that so I would say the first six months were pure you know grit and determination a lot of people said to me at the time you know don't forget to put your oxygen mask on first (laughs) and you sort of yes yes but you don't actually you don't and I and I didn't and there was a huge period of just having to keep going and, and and you know drawing on your sort of your personal reserves of resilience but but that only takes you 
so far and it and it'll be a year before you know a year and a bit before this goes away so I think actually what I've had to learn to do probably you know more recently in the last six months and certainly since we started working together is really find that balance that balance of conserving my energy but also putting my energy into the right places so I think I've really learned to understand you know the concept of looking after yourself to enable you to look after others you know more than just a throwaway comment that people might say just actually really put some value to that and and put some structure into my own ways of working in a in a working from home environment on you know what what time is for work and I'm hugely committed to that but what time is for me as well and how do I you know make sure my energy reserves keep high and recognize when I might need you know a bit of something else or a walk or or an evening off or whatever it might be Mm. or a phone call with friends so for me it's about finding balance and and permission it's it's giving permission it's it's that sort of knowing that the overall picture is is important and that yes work of course is is always you know number one and, and and takes up the majority of my time but it doesn't have to be all of the time and I I am definitely better work Claire is definitely better when human Claire is is in good shape I love that <laughs> When human Claire is in good shape, and my God, she is. And I guess, you know, the other part of that is not only how do you preserve your own energy, which you've just shared, but how do you keep everybody else's energy? Because you said you can feel it and you can see it. How are you helping people to preserve that and to, you know, keep driving? So one of the values that I've always held dear to me is always to to treat people how you would like to be treated. And, and I think I've pulled on that a lot during the last year and and tried to be thoughtful and, and sympathetic to people's circumstances or where they are. I think the thing with, you know, the, the COVID challenges, we've all been through the curve at, at different times, at different speeds for different reasons, actually. And so I've always tried to, to, to sort of be sensitive to where people are and what they need, but also to recognise when we need to apply pressure or, or expectations and when we don't and, and make some judgments around that and, and try and do that in a, well, how would I want this to, to happen to me with my own team? And I think the other thing is I always in my team try and encourage a real culture of openness. And that I think has allowed peer-to-peer support in a really positive way. So I'm not always actually involved in those conversations a lot of the team sort of have those between themselves which is great they're sort of helping each other through and and supporting each other and even either because they have circumstances that are similar or they just have a you know particularly you know rich personal relationship with each other so I think you know the the combination of trying to be a thoughtful leader and also trying to create the open and honest environment has actually been really beneficial I haven't been perfect though (laughs) None of us are perfect, are we? So I love that you say that, but also this idea that you don't have to be responsible for everyone and that actually you can empower the different levels to, as you say, to take care of each other. That's really nice to hear. And also that you say that the times when you have to push too, because it's really easy in in this type of environment to consider all of the different circumstances and to have empathy. I say it's easy, it's not, but to kind of make allowances for for circumstances that people find themselves in but there is still a balance of you're running a business and you need to know when to push that too so it's good to hear that you're considering both sides and not just one or the other yeah and, and definitely I think and that's where it comes down to you know judgment on 
really choosing the times because what what I learned quite quickly is we weren't going to keep up the pace that we had to have in the first few months that that wasn't going to last so therefore I had to really think about reasonable expectations and and what I really needed people to do versus what some of the more nice to do things were going to be so that we could pace ourselves appropriately but you know we also have to recognize that we are you know as with myself and my team as as the leadership team for the UK business we are we are running a business that needs us to to be focused on just that you can't pretend that's not real but you have to be thoughtful in in how you apply that pressure yeah thoughtful is the right word and then let's talk about you again as Claire the human so thinking about sort of lessons that you've learned along the way and not necessarily through the pandemic but in general that are now serving you to be you know a better human being a stronger leader however you want to articulate it I think for me and people often ask me you know you've obviously you know progressed well in your career and and what's that you know, why is that? And what's your top tips? And I think when I really think about it, and it, it probably comes back to that first shake your pom-poms moment of following my own courses. I've always genuinely loved every job I've done. And I found that being in a job that I love allows me to perform at a, at a good level and then always creates the, the next opportunity. So I've never found myself in, in a sort of state of anxiety of what's next. I've always totally loved and enjoyed the moment that I'm in the the job that I'm in so that's always been a really good guide for me that you know for me there's a there's a happiness performance equation that goes on and 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 that's been really that's been really successful and I think the other thing is you know learning from the things that have gone not as well as the things that have gone well certainly on the leadership journey so we've all as leaders you know got a conversation wrong or not delivered something in the way that we ought to or mismanaged a bit of communication and I think you just have to again have an element of forgiveness but also a learning associated and you know once is okay but you know do that too many times and 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 you're really making some mistakes so I think being okay with learning from mistakes asking for feedback where you think you know there's probably something for you to learn I just think it's really valuable and it's it's that you know we're always we're always on a learning journey where whichever position you are in a business you're still on a learning journey And I mean, you say that like it's a really simple thing to do. And for many of us, it isn't. When we make a mistake, it's the worst thing in the world in that moment. And, you know, maybe for even days and weeks afterwards, and we can go through this cycle of, you know, beating ourselves up and why did I do that? And, you know, this this horrible kind of self-deprecation before we get to the learning (laughs) and what we're going to do differently next time. So where are you on that journey? You know, does that impact you in that way? So I, I'm I'm definitely on that journey. I would say I'm I'm much further down that than than I was when we started working together, you know, six or seven months ago. But I still do that. I still sometimes have that sort of plunge to a, a depth of despair of I'll probably need to beat myself up for a week before I come up for air. But actually, back to that sort of how do you look after yourself, you have to wonder what value that adds to you. And actually, it's detrimental, isn't it? So there is really no point in in wallowing in that in that moment. I think it's that acceptance of you are going to make mistakes. Things are not going to go as you planned. You're not always going to share the same opinions with everybody or, or, or there are going to be bumps in the road. And helping yourself kind of recover from those quickly is just so much better for the issue itself, but also yourself. So yes, I am definitely, I'm not going to say I've, I've mastered it fully, but I, I would say I've really, really sort of been thinking about that 
especially through the last year where it's been intense, you know, they, it's just not possible to, you know, behave in that in that way consistently and, and, and survive the experience. So, you know, a better mode of survival has kicked in. And you've just nailed it on the head when you said it's accepting that mistakes are going to happen. That kind of mapping out that the be perfect driver can't be a thing. Because, you know, if you're expecting perfection all the time, you're going to be disappointed even more so when you make a mistake. But if you recognize that they're going to happen and they're going to hurt when they happen, but it's going to be okay, that it's that acceptance at the front end that makes it easier to bounce forwards when you do make a mistake. So I love that you've just kind of brought that to life. And what about adversity? Because I'm a great believer that when we face into adversity, it's you know horrible at the time obviously when we're experiencing it but there's always things that make us stronger as a result so if you were kind of looking at life as a whole and looking at times when you've had adversity what are some of the things that you've gathered strength from as a result so I think I mean a a really sort of big time of adversity pre pre pre-covid was at press a couple of years ago when, when we had some incidents surrounding food allergies and, and we had an inquest into the death of Natasha. And that was a, you know, a really, really challenging time for me personally, but also, you know, the, the business as a whole. And I think, again, that sort of overall, you know, honest moment of honesty and appraisal of, of you know, what, what do we need to do as a result of what has happened and how can we, you know, use strength to to look to the future and and you know improve things and you know we we responded to that as as a business in in a way that I was very proud of in terms of rolling out ingredient labeling and all of our products but also I was able to you know ultimately build a relationship with Natasha's parents and work with them to start thinking about how we might drive change across the industry and and have a you know be part of supporting the legacy that that they're building for her so I think it's it's again that mindset of you know, you, you could you can never go backwards. You can only ever go forwards. And so, finding a way and a, and a strength to go forward in a way that that you know is the very best way that you can find, I think is is just the only thing you can do. And and that's generally what I what I tend to do is tend to you know try and look forwards and and try and think about what lasting change can come of any adversity that you face, and do that in the most authentic way that you can. And that's a lovely thing to apply to all aspects of life. So we could all take that and actually think about how we re-replicate that in our own life as well. So in terms of how you kind of see people that, that you surround yourself with, what would be some of the traits that you'd look for in people that work for you that kind of bolster your traits? That's a really good question because actually it's quite a, it's quite a big mix. I tend to really like to have people that are not much like me to, to hit my blind spot. So, you know, a few people in my team absolutely have my back in terms of the way that their mind works differently from, from mine. So a real sort of power power to any blind spot that I might have. And again, that's that's a real recognition of, I just simply, you know, don't necessarily think like that. Like I, like I said at the beginning, my life was never going to be one of, you know, intense paperwork and spreadsheets. But luckily I've got a finance director who definitely does. So there's... Um, Thank God there's for them. That, <laughs> correct. <laughs> So there's that sort of, you know, I like to have people around me who fill my blind spots, challenge my thinking. I can be quite headstrong. So it's always good for me to have people that, you know, challenge my thinking. And I think probably, you know, 
even in my relationship with my husband, he's that that's his role to sort of challenge my <laughs> my headstrong way of, of being. But then equally, I, you know, like like uh, many people do, I enjoy having people around me that also are more similar to, to me who can sort of be a bit more of a, I guess they play a bit more of a cheerleader role with the sort of, you know, putting putting in a bit of positive energy and, and, and you know, bouncing in my stride. If I have a day where I'm slightly, you know, less up, then, then those are the people that I'd like to sort of bring me back up to, to my normal levels. Yeah. And how do you manage that yourself? So you've got people who can help boost your energy but what are some of the things that you do to kind of stay motivated and to keep your mental health in a good place so I think I try and uh, again a lot of it comes down to this sort of creating balance so I've set some new rules for myself especially since we've been working at home more on you know not having my work phone in the bedroom trying to leave that in in you know I might be in the office space till quite late of an evening but when I leave it I leave that behind until I kind of come down to make the coffee in the morning and that sort of little thing that that really helps, but also just recognizing on the days that you need a little bit more. I think you know, this concept of being kind to yourself, but listening to yourself. So even if you know, I've tried to to keep some level of of exercise as part of my balance, but if I wake up and I think actually today I don't want to do that, I, I'm okay with that. And I just try and you know put everything that's going on in my life at that moment in time into the right context and the right priorities. And hope that whilst that means I might miss a few running sessions or drink the extra glass of wine, that on balance, I'm I'm probably more good than bad. So, you know, forgive yourself if you didn't quite go to plan that day. Yeah, so it's almost like looking at performance over a month, isn't it? Rather than on a specific day and beating yourself up for not doing things. Yeah, yeah. like that. And that's what I tend to try to do with my sort of work life as well and diary is, you know, I'll know what needs to be done immediately and what's got a little bit more time. So I'll, you know, I'll read all my emails every day, but I won't necessarily action them every day because I wouldn't be able to. But I know what needs to be done when. And it just, you know, it's it's a it's a long game, not a short day. Nice. And that prioritization actually helps to give you the space for other things. Now, you are an expert when it comes to coffee. So you've just said you make coffee in the morning. We need to know. What is the best coffee, in your opinion? Well, I have to say the prep coffee. I don't. I oh. couldn't say anything other. And obviously now, since we launched during COVID, that's available in multiple retailers and online. So you can have your prep coffee in in your own homes. So we buy that. that. It's brilliant. Favorite. Very good. Well done. Didn't even but pay how, you to say that. You didn't pay me that. I buy it for my husband, who likes to have that little plungy thing in the morning. How do you have the coffee, though? This is what we need to know, because there's like so many options. So what is the clear way of having coffee? I am an oat flat white drinker. I would like to say that I have all kinds of requirements other than I think it's the trendiest one. But I think it is that I think it's just the trendiest one. <laughs> so um, I've, I've been drinking that since we introduced it into the prep range probably just over a year ago. And now I buy oat milk at home to, to drink the same at home. So I am a, I'm an oat flat white drinker. I'm a coconut flat white drinker. Oh, there you go. Has to be decaf though. So I, my London office, which you've not been to yet because we've not, I've not been in London for a year, is round the corner from your Holborn shop. And the people in there are gorgeous because most days when I go in, I do get free coffee. Because I think Excellent. I'm probably one of the only people in London that actually smiles. And apparently <laughs> they quite like that. So I they get do. free coffee. <laughs> That's lovely. Well, I'm glad. I hope that continues when you return to oh, London. 
it makes my day every time honestly the little things are so important yeah and that's that's one of the things I love about Pret is that we we can empower our team members to do those little things it's gorgeous and they are always well this is about Pret across the board and I recognized this when I worked at Compass Group and we used to do kind of collaborations the team at Pret are always kind of on the customer's side and that's the thing no matter you know which shop you visit you just get this sense that the people care about what they're serving and who they're serving and it comes across and obviously that's you know part of the training that you give but also probably part of the hiring as well in terms of the types of people that you bring in yeah and like I said you know it's a privilege to lead the UK business because it's full of people like that and you know it's a I'm enormously proud of all of our team members in, in all of our shops. And yourself, because you're the one that's creating <laughs> that culture as well. And so speaking of this, then, we're going to go on to the killer question, which is, in your opinion, what do you think is the absolute secret to success? So I've used this word a few times today, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this. For me, authenticity is, is the absolute secret to success in so many avenues of life, because I think Bringing your true self to work is good for you and and good for any team and and good for any business. But also in all your relationships, you know, even if I think about the the relationship we've developed, being able to be authentically you just gets to a a better result more quickly, whatever the situation. So for me, you know, confidence in in being yourself, it's perhaps an important message on on International Women's Day, even now, that authenticity of, of being yourself owning that yourself and being proud in in that and taking that into sort of every interaction that you have that's for me I think my little secret to success and feeling psychologically safe to be able to do that and I wish you know it's it's lovely to hear you say it because you know in my 20-year corporate career before doing this I absolutely wore a mask not a COVID one you know one that really hid my true self because I felt that that didn't fit the environment that I was in which was an absolute nonsense. But actually, despite the fact I was successful, I could have been even more so had I just been who I am on the inside. And now that I do that, I have the success on a completely different level. And so to hear women now starting to have this narrative around, you know, being my true self, being authentic, and then to actually see people like you following through on it, it's just a joy. And, and on a day like today, it's the key message for, for girls coming through and for young women and even women like us in, in our, well, you're only just 40, in our 40s, <laughs> this idea that it is okay to be who we truly are and that we'll be accepted and we'll fit in. Yeah, I fully agree. And having role models like you actually at the top of organisations showing that that's okay is the key to the future, really. So I'm so glad that authenticity is your key. (laughs) Love it. Oh, it's been a joy to catch up with you in this way on on the (laughs) podcast. So thank you for sharing, particularly in a a week that must be crazy because you're only just back at work. But yeah, thank you. You've just been a joy. Oh, thank you. As I said, it's a pleasure to be invited. So thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So have a wonderful rest of the week and we will speak again very, very soon, I'm sure. Very good. Thank you. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, 
be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode. And do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care. Thank you.